All right, David, thank you so much for leading us in that time of singing and praise. I hope that Christmas music was just a, a blessing to you. They are such powerful, beautiful songs. Really, not just Christmas songs. Those are gospel songs. Those are songs about what is most important. I think that's where a lot of that power is. And so beginning today, I'm looking forward to beginning our study of the Christmas story this year. And we'll be doing so through a five-part series that's going to begin in Luke chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 1. And what we're going to do this year is we're going to pay attention to the Holy Spirit's work in the Christmas story. That's some attention or an angle I don't think gets covered many times is the role of the Holy Spirit in the Christmas story. And I think that's really important for us this year, perhaps more so than any other Christmas in our life, because right now I know many people are asking the question, can we celebrate Christmas this year? Can we even do it? I mean, with everything that's going on in with the coronavirus and government lockdowns, shutdowns, economic downturn, uh, uh, election, all kinds of drama going on there, and not to mention personal challenges that you and I face. And I know for many people, it, there can be that sense, ah, my understanding of the spirit of Christmas is such that I really can't celebrate this year. But friends, perhaps that's because we've missed what the true spirit of Christmas is. The thing we need most in order to celebrate Christmas is not some nostalgic idea of what we think the, quote, spirit of Christmas is, but rather the Holy Spirit himself, the same Holy Spirit who came upon the scene radically, miraculously, powerfully to bring about and orchestrate and enable that first Christmas story is the same Holy Spirit who wants to work in our hearts, our lives, our church, our world today. And so we'll be doing a five-part series we're calling The Spirit, capital S, The Spirit of Christmas. And so today we're going to begin with part one, which is going to be the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verses one through 25. So if you have your Bibles, turn there and follow along with me as I read God's word. Luke chapter 1, 1 through 25. This is God's word. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Now there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving his priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. 
and the whole multitude of people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that the written word points to the living word, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that ultimately our experience and celebration of Christmas this year does not depend on any of the external circumstances that surround us, no matter how significant they might be. Lord, we know ultimately our experience of Christmas is dependent upon the Holy Spirit, who unites us to Christ and who brought about the very events that we read about today in that first Christmas story. And so we pray that since the same Holy Spirit that overshadowed Mary, bringing Christ into the world, that enabled Zacharias and Elizabeth to bring forth a son in their old age, the same Spirit who enabled Simeon and Anna to prophesy and to sing forth, Lord, we pray that same Spirit would bring forth life in us and that you would use us much as John the Baptist to prepare a way in the wilderness, a people ready to hear their God. And so, Lord, we ask for a blessing over this study. We pray that you would grant us minds and hearts prepared to receive what the Lord and the Spirit says to the church today. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's dig in by looking at the prologue, which is going to be verses 1 through 4. 
So he says, inasmuch as many have undertaken a set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had a perfect understanding from the beginning, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So, of course, the gospel bearing Luke's name is written by Luke. Luke was the traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. And it's important to point out that this is part one of a two-part work. In other words, there is a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. If you liked the first story, if you liked the Gospel of Luke, there's actually a sequel, and that is the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, so linked are these two books together that scholars refer to it as a single work. They refer to it simply as Luke Acts with a hyphen connecting those two words. And you can actually see it through the, the prologue of the Gospel of Acts itself that mirrors what we're seeing here. So you don't have to turn there, but let me just read to you the first couple of verses of the book of Acts. Verse 1 says, the former account I made, former account, what's the former account? The Gospel of Luke. So Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. Oh, Theophilus. Theophilus is the same patron, probably, who paid, because this would have been a very time-consuming, expensive endeavor and required somebody with considerable funds. So Theophilus, the same patron of the Gospel of Luke, is the same patron here in the book of Acts. Not only that, but you'll actually notice if you set Luke and Acts side by side, you'll see that they follow one another almost perfectly. The Gospel of Luke records the birth of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Acts records the birth of the church. The Gospel of Luke records Jesus' first sermon in Nazareth. The, the book of Acts records Peter's first sermon at Pentecost. You will see Jesus' ministry confirmed by miracles and signs. You will see the ministry of the apostles confirmed by miracles and signs. You will see Jesus opposed by religious leaders. You're going to see the apostles opposed by religious leaders. You're going to see Jesus stand before three different court tribunals. You're going to see the Apostle Paul stand before three court tribunals. And just as Jesus' ministry ends at the cross in Jerusalem, so Paul's ends with the sword in Rome. So you see these two accounts are mirroring one another. And Luke is telling us something. Luke is saying, friends, when you and I enter into the church, when we hear the gospel story, when we celebrate Christmas, we are entering into an ongoing story. We are not merely looking back and saying, hey, this great thing happened. Let's just have a fun celebration and we'll gather together some good civil morality ideas that that, that kind of keep society together like family and love and be, be giving and kind and don't, don't be a jerk or whatever. No, friends, it is so much more than that. What Luke wants us to know is that this Christmas story that you and I are reading about today is continuing in the lives of those who believe. And one of the key links between the book of Luke or the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, scholars have referred to Luke as the evangelist of the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of Luke 
compared to the other synoptics, mentions the Holy Spirit more times. The Gospel of Mark only mentions the Holy Spirit six times. The Gospel of Matthew mentions it 12 times, but the Gospel of Luke mentions it 17 times, 17 times he mentions the Holy Spirit. And while Mark doesn't record the birth narrative at all, Matthew does record the birth narrative and you see the Holy Spirit mentioned two times. But here in Acts, as we're going to see over the next five studies, the Holy Spirit is mentioned six times. Luke is the evangelist of the Holy Spirit, and he's showing us that just as this story is lived out, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus, so too the birth of the church and the spread of the church and the gospel participates in the same story, pointing to the same Savior through the same empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe the Holy Spirit wants to work through this series. The Holy Spirit wants to work through our study over these next few weeks. And he wants us to become aware of what God is doing in the midst of all the chaos and turbulence all around us. The gospel is going forward. The message of Jesus is going forward in the power of the Spirit. And we are invited to participate today. So that is what we are being shown, the link being connected here in the prologue of the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. It says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. I want to pause here for a moment. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about Herod, but I just want to remove any kind of confusion regarding the life setting, or as the Ger Germans say, the Sitzimleben, the Sitzimleben, the life setting of Jesus. For many people today, they're thinking, and unless everything, you know, unless we were materially prosperous and finances are good, unless uh, the political scene is the way I want it to be, I can't have a good Christmas. Well, friends, actually, in a sense, if all those things are the way you want them to be, you might have a harder time understanding and even receiving the true message of Christmas. Because you see, when Jesus came into the world, he didn't, he wasn't born into materially prosperous circumstances. He was born to a poor mother and father. He was born in an animal shelter. He was born under the rule of a political tyrant. Herod might have done some great public works, the expanding the temple in Jerusalem in particular, but he was also known as a cruel and violent man. We know not only did he kill many of his sons, and this was widely known, but of course, when the wise men come to him and he hears about the birth of Jesus, he seeks to kill him by killing all male children two years and under. So again, this idea that Christmas has to be some great outward circumstance actually is sort of the opposite idea of what was taking place that first Christmas. Now, listen to this too, because I think a lot of times this, this old fallacy still has tremendous traction today. And that is that if you love Jesus, you pray, you read your Bible, you go to church, and you tithe, and you tell people about Jesus, that bad things won't happen to you. That's exactly the opposite of what is being set up here. Look at this. It says, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, 
His wife was the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So these people come from good stock. This is a priest. Zacharias is a priest. And his wife happens to be also a daughter of the priesthood. So these people are from uh, prestigious stock in Israel. And notice more than that, verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. You know, it persists in Christian churches today that if you simply walk with Jesus, if you are a, quote, good person, and you do all the things you should do, then God should give you a nice, easy, pain-free, blessing-full life. Blessing meaning, of course, uh, material and temporal circumstances. But right here, we see the setting for the Christmas story is the opposite. Rather, what we see in the Christmas story is that the righteous are no strangers to suffering. Let me say that again, because someone needs to hear that today. The righteous are no strangers to suffering. One of the problems of suffering is not the suffering itself, as bad as that can be. But the idea that suffering makes us feel separated and abandoned from God and others. When we go through prolonged periods of suffering, some people may actually look at us like, gosh, something must be wrong with you. You must have done something wrong to deserve that. Ooh, karma is sure coming back to get you. And we ourselves might even feel like God has abandoned us. Because we are being righteous, we are being blameless, we are doing all the things God has called us to do, and yet outwardly we are not blessed. Rather, we seem cursed. That is the situation. The righteous are no strangers to suffering, and Zacharias and Elizabeth know all about that. So verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. Again, today this is culturally a little bit more difficult to understand. Uh, many people today, especially in modern Western culture, um, having children is not necessarily the sign of a blessing. As a matter of fact, some people even look at as a sign of a curse. So in some cases it can be quite the opposite. People can say, oh gosh, you have that many kids? Poor you, I'll be praying for you. But back then, keep in mind that having children was a sign of God's blessing and favor. And the idea was that if God was blessing you, if you were walking with God, you would have many children, not just a child, you would have many children. But here you have Zacharias and Elizabeth in a culture in which having children was the most important thing a woman could do at that time. And yet, so she was unable to do that. And Zacharias had no son to speak of. So that is the situation into which the Christmas story begins. Let's look at verses 8 through 12. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense in the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. Again, kind of the picture we're having is Zacharias and Elizabeth are well past the age of childbearing. 
They're advanced in years. They're old. They're getting to the end of their life. They probably just in their minds, somehow, some way, coped with God is never going to do this. And it's not even possible for God to do this. They are well past that. And yet all of these years, all of these fears, all of the doubts, all of the frustration, the anger, the humiliation, the embarrassment, all of that is about to be changed in a moment, in just a moment. And friends, we have to remember as believers that many times we can go through years and years and years of difficulties, frustration, lack of fruitfulness in our work, in our effort, in our families, in our relationships. And yet God Almighty is capable in a single day of granting blessing and victory to his people. And that is what is happening here. So notice it says, while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division. So the priesthood in Israel at this time was divided up into 24 divisions. And each of those divisions would be on duty two times a year for one week at a time. And so it said, the text told us that Zacharias is of the division of Abijah. It is their one week duty. And now you'll notice in verse nine, it says, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went to the temple of the Lord. Now you might ask, what is this lot? What, what, what custom is that? Why are they doing it? And here's the issue. It was actually the case that there was far more priests than there was work to do. There was far more priests than there was actual work to do in the temple. And so they would actually cast lots to decide who would get to do which job, which duty in the temple. Okay, so that's why they're doing it. Secondly, listen to this. When it came to offering incense in the holy place, remember, because everybody's in the, in the temple, broadly speaking, so in the holy place, a priest could only offer incense once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime. Think about this. And many priests might never in their entire life get the opportunity Zacharias is getting. So think about this, all the years, things dragging on, feeling humiliated, God not answering, being humanly speaking past the point of God possibly being able to help because that's just the way things are. And now everything is changing. A once in a lifetime opportunity has come upon Zacharias. The lot fell on him, and it is his turn to go into the holy place and offer the incense to the Lord. And so the whole multitude is, is outside, and it shouldn't take too long to perform this function. This should be a rather brief ceremony that he is performing. So verse 10, the whole multitude of people is praying outside at the hour of incense, and then... An angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar. So again, it's it just picture that thing where you've just been doing something or you've you've been experiencing pain or or suffering or estrangement or or whatever it is or just frustration or or to be honest in our walks with God we can go through wilderness seasons in our walks with God where God I love you I believe in you I'm doing the things I should be doing but I I just don't feel your presence and I haven't felt it for a long time God's people can go through that but all of a sudden boom everything is just changing God is fulfilling everything that everything was working towards in the first place, but Zacharias couldn't see. 
But now he sees the lot has fallen on him once in a lifetime. An angel has appeared to him. And as many people do when they see an angel, they fall down in complete fear. And so the angel speaks to him and commands him to rise. Let's look at verses 13 through 17. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's our first mention of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be five more times where Luke, the evangelist of the Spirit, is drawing attention to the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who regenerates you and I, causes us to be born again into new life, to have a new nature that bursts the church into existence in the book of Acts and to which we are called to service today. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So interestingly, Zacharias went in there, he's offering incense and he says a prayer and the angel appears, he falls down, the angel be tells him not to be afraid, to stand up and he's going to begin speaking to him and listen to what he says. Verse 13 do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Now, what did Zacharias pray? No doubt, Zacharias had prayed for a child. He had probably prayed for a son, for a child, for many, many years, decades and decades. But it's highly improbable that that's the prayer he prayed now. In other words, it's probably the very moment, the time in which he gave up praying for that thing he was sinking. And again, how do we know this? A couple of reasons. First of all, his incredulity that the angel actually says you're, you're going to have a son and, and he doesn't believe it. That, that, doesn't, that seems incongruous that he had just prayed that it would happen and then he doesn't believe it when an angel appears and tells him that it's going to happen. That doesn't seem quite right. It might, it might also seem a, a bit impious that he is going in to represent all the people before God and to simply ask for something for himself, not necessarily the benefit of the people. So if that's the case, what prayer did Zacharias pray for? Zacharias probably prayed for the consolation of Israel, that God would redeem his people. And so the angel is saying, that's the prayer that is going to get answered. It's not just about you and what you wanted. It is going to be about the bigger picture of what God wants and what God's going to do. But the beauty of that, even though it's not chiefly about me, it's not about my personal life and my problems, my struggles, my desires. God's story, the gospel, is so much bigger. It is about Jesus. He is the star, not me. We're just the, the co-stars, the, the extras. We matter to God, but we are not the star. Jesus at the center. It is a much bigger story. And yet the beauty is our story finds its fulfillment in its place in the story of Jesus. 
And so probably the prayer that he prayed was for the consolation of Israel. And that is ultimately the prayer that is being answered. And that's going to happen through John the Baptist, who is going to be the forerunner of Christ, who prepares the way for the Messiah, Jesus, the one who will save Israel from their sins. And notice, he says, not only, verse 14, will you have joy and gladness, but many will rejoice at his birth. Again, it's, yes, it's going to bless you personally, but it's about so much more than just blessing you personally. God wants to do great things, abundant things. He wants to touch other people. He wants to bring joy, not just into our lives, but into the lives of others as well. Abundant, overflowing joy that goes out into the lives of others. Verse 15, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Now, some people, when they read that, they kind of remember the Nazarite vow and Samson's vow, and they think uh, maybe John the Baptist was a Nazarite. I don't think we can say that. You'll notice some of the key things related to the Nazarite vows are not mentioned at all, such as the cutting of the hair. That does not seem to be mentioned. Rather, what this seems to mean is that he is going to live a life that is sanctified. And remember, that word sanctified means set apart, that you're going to stand out in the way you live your life. And certainly that's true because John would go off into the wilderness. He would wear a, a, a belt of camel's hair and his food was going to be locust and wild honey. So he was certainly going to live a life that was visibly and spiritually set apart from others. And so this is being prophesied. And notice what it says. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, again, this is huge. And the Holy Spirit is very important to Luke, as I mentioned. Mentions it more than the other two synoptics. Six times here in the Christmas narrative. Seventeen times in his gospel. And it connects with the book of Acts. He wants to see that the same Spirit moving here upon John the Baptist is the same Holy Spirit who wants to move in our lives today. So he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And notice what his ministry is going to look like. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go forth in the power and spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, remember, this is huge. So all this activity of the Spirit that Luke is showing us, if you know the Old Testament, this is tremendous because the Holy Spirit has stopped speaking prophetically and moving visibly for 400 years. If you'll remember, the Old Testament ends with the book of Malachi and there is a silence. It's not that nothing in history wasn't happening, but it was widely acknowledged. There was consensus, in fact, amongst the various factions of the Jewish community at that time that there was no prophetic voice. The Spirit had stopped his moving, his visible moving, specifically in prophetic utterance, but now... After 400 years of silence, suddenly the Holy Spirit is everywhere, moving mightily and powerfully. It's an eruption of dynamic, spirit-powered activity. And so this is so important that we're understanding that. And it is pointing towards the messianic age, the life that characterizes those who believe and follow Jesus. 
Let's look at verses 18 through 22. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Um, in the Greek, this is there's a double emphatic. So in other words, the doubtfulness, the unbelief of Zacharias is particularly pronounced. He says, For I, I am old. So he's highlighting almost probably more of a tone of just incredulity, like, uh, I am. I am way too old. Me, me, no way. So Zachariah, it's it's some real unbelief. And again, notice how our circumstances can often shrink our belief. Think about that. When we look at our circumstances, we tend to say, okay, I have faith, but faith has to operate within the walls. And sometimes in life, those walls come in. And boy, I've been feeling those walls come in over the last year, haven't you? Just seeing the walls come in on us financially, economically, politically, socially, all, all these things just coming in and you're thinking, well, God can't operate outside of that. This is going to slow God down and he's, he's, you know, he's there and I believe in him, but it's going to have to be in this tiny little world here. Friends, we got to remember that faith transcends all boundaries. Because God transcends all boundaries. Faith is not in our circumstances. It never should be. And the shrinking and the difficulties and the trials of situations force us to do one of two things. Either your faith shrinks to meet the difficulties of the times, or your faith grows to transcend the difficulties of the times. And clearly we bear show, being shown here that we are not to be like Zacharias, as good of a man as he was. He was righteous, blameless, upright. But even a genuine believer like you and I can be doubtful. Our faith can be imperfect. It can be shrunken by the experiences and environment in which we find ourselves. And the angel answered, verse 19, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will not be able to speak until the day that these things take place. So the angel says, quite ironically to Zacharias, oh, you want a sign? Oh, I'll give you a sign. The sign is going to be you will not be able to speak because of your unbelief until the day the child is born. So Zacharias gets a sign, all right, but it's not the kind of sign he wants. It's a sign. It's it's a discipline. It's actually a disciplinary action where God is saying, hey, you're, you're mine, and, and I know you believe in me, but you also doubted me. And so this sign is going to take place to remind you of your unbelief and to teach you a lesson to never, ever, ever doubt me again. How many of us need to learn that lesson today? to never, ever, ever doubt the Lord again. And yet many of us might find ourselves in that very place where we're doubting God. We're doubting the goodness of God because of all the things that are going on all around us. But friends, we must never, never resort to unbelief as being our way of escape from difficult times. Rather for us, the way out is the way in. Deeper and deeper faith in Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit who binds us to him. He finishes, and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, he departed to his own house. Now after those days his wife conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people." 
Again, as I said, notice how what God is doing through this story of Zacharias and Elizabeth is about so much more than them and their pain and their struggle and their humiliation and their frustration, but it includes them. And friends, I just want to remind you that God is doing something far bigger than what we can possibly imagine. Right now, during this difficult time and through all the various things some of you may be going through personally, sometimes we can feel not only that God forgets about our personal lives, but we can just lose sight of the big picture. And friends, I believe this Christmas, God wants to recapture the big picture. Let's remember that life is not about our life. Our life is about the life of Christ. And we're not called to simply celebrate Christmas in the spirit of human civil religion, but rather through the empowering, enabling presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the same spirit who orchestrated these events of the first Christmas is wanting to draw our hearts to him today. So what might that look like today? Well, one of the things is, again, I believe that we need to grow in faith. That like Zacharias, our circumstances with COVID and the lockdown and everything else that might be going on is possibly shrinking our faith. And friends, we must see that with God, nothing is impossible. And our faith must grow and transcend whatever boundaries life can possibly put on us. I think many of us might have a ministry like John the Baptist this year. Just as it says John was going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the just, I believe God wants to use you to bear witness this Christmas. Maybe there's going to be a work in the family. Things might be tough out there in the world, and yet God's going to use the toughness. He's going to use the difficulty to bring some families together, to bring some healing, to bring broken relationships back together. Maybe some marriages out there or parents and uh, children or whoever it might be. God wants to do some healing. Perhaps there's non-believers that do not know the story. They, they don't have the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Christmas, but rather Christmas for them is simply buying stuff, having stuff, and, and having people come over, and that may have been taken from them this year. So friends, I believe we have a ministry because the Holy Spirit has a ministry, and that ministry is to bear witness to Jesus to pay attention to what God is doing, the same spirit who creates this Christmas narrative, birthed the church, and is calling you and I to bear witness today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your goodness, your mercy, and your truth. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending him into the world. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ, forming us in his image, and using us to bear witness to the truth of the Christmas story in and through our lives. And so, Lord, I just pray this year, Lord, that we would meditate on you. We would reflect on you. We would reflect on the scriptures, on the true meaning of Christmas, that we would seek to be spirit-filled men and women who turn the hearts of the disobedient and non-believers and the broken and the downcast to the Savior who heals. And so, Lord, I just pray you would bless your people abundantly. Fill them with an ever-flowing river of joy within their hearts that nothing in this world can quench. And use us, Lord, to be lights for you during this difficult season. We ask for your blessing now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, friends, for those of you that would like to continue your time of worship through the act of giving, there's two ways that you may do that. The first way is you can go onto our website, which is imagechurchoc.com, and there's a giving tab up at the top, and you can just click there, and you can give with either your debit card or your credit card. For those of you that would like to send in a check, you can do so to our church mailing address, which is 27762. Antonio Parkway, L is in Larry, 514, and that's Ladera Ranch, California, 92, oh gosh, 92694. Uh, double check our website. I just had a complete blank on the zip code. I believe that's what it is, 92694. Uh, but anyway, just check it out on our website, imagechurchoc.com. It's at the bottom of the page. Uh, friends, I want to encourage you in this Christmas to stay connected, uh, be in the Word, be in prayer. We're going to release short little devotional video videos uh, Monday through Friday throughout the month of December leading up to Christmas. We'll post them on our Image Church OC Facebook page. So I just encourage you to check in on those, make them just a part of your daily rhythm, stay connected in the Word. We're going to be continuing this Christmas series. We'll be doing our Wednesday night services. So again, just meditate and reflect and be used by the Lord to bear witness to Jesus during this Christmas. And let me just close with this prayer of blessing. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you all. Merry Christmas. And let's make Jesus name great this year.